if you offer a guarantee or warranty of some kind linked with the product and you make sure you're clear about that, then if somebody sells that product without warranty, then technically they're not selling the same product. We are Michael Vizi in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best Amazon stock management tool. How much has going out of stock cost you over the lifetime of your business? And what is it going to cost you this Q4? Eva predicts precisely what stock you need. It learns from your account and it improves constantly. Eva serves hundreds of private label seven-figure sellers. To get a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Welcome back to the e-commerce leader podcast. Today we are going to talk about three simple ways to create pricing power. And in our previous conversation, we talked about three unfortunate facts about price setting. And this is about how to be a successful price setter. So price maker, not a price taker. In other words, you exercise pricing power. You give your brand the possibility to charge more for your products than the market would otherwise dictate. Really powerful stuff. Simple, but but very powerful and very actionable as well. So enjoy the show. If you want to take notes, by all means do. But if you want to check out the notes we've made for you, go to theecommerceleader.com and find the notes there. Thanks and enjoy the show. There are three things that you can do that I'd want to mention today and really encourage everybody with. The first one is you have the opportunity to create a unique selling proposition that will really help your pricing strategy. And I know this is an odd set of items to push together. Most of us have heard of the phrase unique selling proposition, USP. We've heard that in the context of branding and then a context of creating your presentation on the internet, that kind of thing. And we haven't really tied it back into your pricing strategy. But I want to just remind everybody that the that second word there is selling, the unique selling proposition. And so, because a lot of times we think, oh, create a USP. Okay. I want to be the brand known as, I don't know, something. We just make it up in our mind. And, but the reality is what you really want to do with your USP is figure out what the customer would see as valuable in what you're doing and find the synergy related to what the customer would validate and support with higher prices. And so how do you do that? It's complicated, but there are ways to do it. One way to do it is, for example, will a customer pay for an item because it's local, made local, sourced local? This is becoming very true in food. Customers will pay a premium if it's local and organic. And and so if you're in the food category, that, that there's a pricing premium for local and organic. I bought some honey not long ago, and it was made locally. And in the honey world, they say if you buy local honey and eat local honey, it'll help your allergies because, I don't know, the bees have got the pollen from the local plants and you're eating it and somehow your allergies will help. So you see how that's a, it's a, a selling positioning tool that justifies a higher price point, that USP of being the local, locally sourced item 
underscores this reason why you should pay for it and, and even pay for it as a premium. So that's one angle that lo- is it local and can that be the thing you use to charge for a higher price? But there are other angles as well. The thing that you want to think through is what could you do with your product to create that kind of unique angle? As we mentioned, I was just in England. We wanted to see gardens of England, the famous gardens of England. And so we had our Google, we were Googling around and we we're like looking on the internet and we we're looking at trip advisors and stuff like that, asking people like, what are the best gardens to go to? And people would give us their advice. We heard that Blenheim Palace is the birthplace of Winston Churchill and they have beautiful gardens there. But really what we heard was birthplace of Winston Churchill, like 150 times we heard birthplace of Winston Churchill. So we went there and it was a total disappointment. The gardens were just hardly, it was like a local park, your local city park. They had big trees. That was their claim to fame in terms of the gardening stuff. It was a total bust, but it was really expensive to get into. And of course we walked through the palace and it was like, whatever. But they had clearly dominated the unique selling proposition with this birthplace of Winston Churchill branding and idea. And it got us to go. It got us to take a half day. And all things being equal, if I could go back over the trip, I would have not gone there. And I would have found a cool, actual, real garden that was a proper British garden that was really impressive because we did see some, but they were really not that easy to find. And they weren't really marketed that well. So you get the idea. You want to have a unique selling proposition that does the job. But of course, you don't want to dissatisfy your customer. You don't want them to have a bad experience. Oh, they said this was going to be, you know, something and it turned out to not be. You don't want to disappoint. You want to find something that has truth to it and attracts the right kind of buyer and they're willing to pay the, the premium price for it. So that USP piece to me is a huge way to justify you know, pricing. First of all, let's reflect on your British experience. I think that's a typical sort of British tourist experience that that they brand. I guess a lot of what Britain has to offer is really just a kind of brand name, perhaps for Anglophile Americans, particularly or other people who think it's all about history. And Winston Churchill was an impressive character, by the way. Mother was American, I think, so an Anglo-American himself. But he, London, Paris, is very famous. I've never thought of it as a garden. And now that feeling is reinforced and then you but the other thing to reflect on of course is just because you've hooked somebody you got to pay once doesn't mean that's a great idea because you're now living effectively a, a negative review online albeit it won't really affect that many people unless listeners were planning to pop into blending paris palace next week but in a place like amazon that's a bad idea on any shopify so that's not a, a good idea i guess that there's got to be a message to product match they got the message incredibly strong but they can't they they, they got something misaligned between your expectations and what you got so again if you want to build a strong brand you've got to make sure you mm-hmm those up so it's never just about all i would say to reflect on that is it's never just about marketing it's marketing plus product and product development needs to tie in with understanding the consumer i would say talking about the food examples make me think of an awful lot of thing i've just been in france and so they're obsessed with great food and there are lots and lots of different types of usps that you can build in some of which don't sit so easily in a sort of mass-produced online type product handmade traditional materials genuine manufacturing mm-hmm. process you can have elements of those i think gluten-free hypoallergenics are safe for people with all sorts of intolerances these days and they're equivalent in other things i don't know for example cleaning uh, materials and then there's that kind of uh, the other thing that the, the europeans are obsessed with the wine is only allowed to be called a bordeaux wine if it's from a certain region champagne is if, it, if it's anywhere outside the champagne region you can't call it champagne it's fizzy wine even though it's basically champagne and there's a sort of 
that's a really hard to engineer kind of trust and quality brand identity. But that's the ultimate defensible thing, I think, because yeah. I can imagine that champagne sales may go down over the recession. I'm sure they will. I don't see the price necessarily going down because people want it to be expensive in a way. How yeah. do we start to implement this stuff? How do we really create a brand that has that kind of pricing power? Yep, it starts with an obsession with your customer's desire for the specific product that you're offering and really thinking through what does that look like? How do you put it together? What will they and won't they pay for? What do they see value in? Those are all just amazing questions to nerd out over as you start to work on how your USP can support your product. There are other ways you can be a genius pricer. Let me mention them. But first, before that, let me return our conversation to Lizeth's question earlier, which was Amazon's proposing ridiculous pricing because for some reason, and we asked her why, and her comment is she thought that in retail stores, the prices were lower. So this is very interesting. We had a client, Michael, who was very successful on Amazon and then thought, why not also sell on Chewy? Because it was a pet related you know, product. And so she started selling on Chewy. And on Chewy, they were pretty liberal with their management of the prices. And they would put stuff on discount or sale. And then when they did that, Amazon immediately cottoned onto it and said they would just affect her price. It was like Amazon was clear. They were not going to be undersold by Chewy. And so they would, I don't know that they suspended listings, but it was clearly flagged up as this is a problem. And the Chewy people were basically like not really, they were cavalier about it. They weren't really... Uh, supportive. <laughs> so ultimately, she stopped selling on Chewy. And so, Lizeth, if your product or the product that you're selling is out in retail spaces listed on the internet for a lower price, Amazon will will demand price parity. And so, you won't be able to have it if you control it. You won't be have it be able to have it out in a retail setting or other marketplaces at a lower price. And having Amazon have to sell the higher priced version. They won't do it. Michael, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. You have a different take on it, but that's what I've seen at least. So, No, 100%. I've seen this many times. And I think one question I would have, obviously for Lizeth, but also for anyone listening, is if you're reselling a product, you have to be realistic about what you're engaged in. Retail arbitrage, uh, as coined by our friend Chris Green, means a difference in price between two different markets for the same product or service, right? That's what arbitrage is. And if you are in a market where you are pricing higher than it is elsewhere, then there's not a particularly great reason why somebody should buy from you. And okay, if you can get away with it, then why not? That's not particularly bad. But Amazon is not in the business of enabling that. <laughs> Amazon wants to be, if not exactly always the lowest cost provider, it's seen as the value provider. And that's their branding. That's their positioning in the market. They're not always the cheapest. Stuff is cheaper on eBay quite often. But that you're, get, you're swimming against uh, the tide. You're swimming against the tide of a mighty river called Amazon. Don't do it. It's just not a winning strategy. If it's a private label product, then you need to get control of where your products are being distributed. It may be that people are buying them and reselling them illegally in some way, in which case my advice is to keep it simple and do a couple of things. One is to send a cease and desist letter if you can find who they are and get some contact details. That's often effective. The second one is to go and buy the available stock. And if they're selling on Amazon, then it doesn't sound like it's the same issue, but finding the stock, buying it, trying to rag up as many flag up as many flags with the different marketplaces that's being sold to that it's not authentic or whatever it is, or just mm -hmm. buy the stock and keep it because it's destroying your value, your yeah. pricing power. So one a few thoughts. Yeah, one other thought in that regard, and I think this works, Michael, but you could also create a new listing and have it be a kitted product, add something to it. 
sell the item plus a rubber band or plus a screwdriver or plus a whatever it is that adds incremental value, then you're selling two items and you're out of the ASIN that's in conflict because it's really not the same item that you're selling. And that will give you your pricing discretion back. Absolutely. One last tweak to that idea which is that makes a lot of sense and that could be difficult to implement physically a bit of work but definitely a good plan another thought and you should go and read up about this lizeth or or anyone else in this situation that's there's there's something to do with i think called the first sale doctrine but i remember speaking to cj rosenbaum who's a new york-based lawyer who specializes in amazon sellers and if you offer a guarantee or warranty of some kind linked with the product and you make sure you're clear about that, then if somebody sells that product without warranty, then technically they're not selling the same product. I'm a bit vague about the detail, so you'd have yeah. to go and read up about it and make sure you educate yourself properly and fully about it. But bottom line is if you're having to do lots of funny tricks like this, that's probably a sign that the market you're in is not a great market to be in, I would suggest mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So okay. there you go. Back to our... Back to our list here, we've got a, another way to create pricing genius, two more to go. And so let me mention the next one. The next one is you can create your own anchors. Now an anchor in pricing economics terms is this mental like signpost or milestone that the customer has in their mind about what is an appropriate price for your item. That's the anchor price. So for example, if you say, hey, I want a compact car in the United States, and I really, it's just for my kid to drive, and um, and I don't want to spend a lot. What price comes to my mind? $25,000 US dollars. Okay, I want a luxury vehicle. It's going to be super amazing, like maybe like a European. What price comes to my mind? Oh, six figures, definitely. So those are anchors. And the, so you will live your life as a price setter in the environment of anchors. They are there in the mind of the customer. The only question is, do you control them? And the genius sellers control them. And so the classic example of this is like the high-end luxury purse sellers. And I was like, this example, I use it too much. High-end luxury purse sellers, you go in and there's like the Birkin bag or something like that. It's like a $34,000 purse, you know? Like, wow, $34,000 purse. Who in their right mind would pay for that purse? I don't know, but there's one sitting next to it for $499. Eh, I'll buy that one. And But then you just realize, wow, I just paid $500 for a purse. Now, I'm not a purse buyer per se, and so this is not a market that I actually spend money in. But you get the idea. If you can create an anchor, then you have created the psychological space in which the customer is evaluating your products. And so how do you do this? The sh- long and the short of it is you create a high-priced product. And you create a high-priced product because the high-priced product creates an anchor for your other product. How often does the super high-end luxury item sell? I don't know, but a lot of I know there are a lot of Ferrari t-shirts that sell, <laughs> a lot of Ferrari hats that sell, a lot of Ferrari sweatshirts that sell. How many Ferraris sell? They might make more off their merch than they do off their cars. I'm not sure. But you get the idea. You create the high-priced item, and it gives you cover uh, or the context in which the normal-priced item makes more sense to the customer. Michael, what are your thoughts on anchors, controlling them? If you have other examples that you come, you know, you like or come to your mind, but love your thought on it. 
Yeah, a few, not very e-commerce specific, but if you, location, as we've talked about in the past, or the context things are incredibly important. So to your purse, or as we call it, a handbag, I guess. Example, if you're in, if you walk into certain stores in Oxford Street, or I guess some of the right locations in New York or wherever, then you expect incredibly high prices because everything else around is high price. The decor, the, the reputation, the brand will push you towards expecting that. Obviously, online with your own website, you can gradually, after a huge amount of work, build towards that. Unfortunately, on a an Amazon sort of in an Amazon or marketplace context, it's hard to engineer because basically you're vulnerable to whatever Amazon stacks against you in the search engine rankings, and they don't really stack like with like. It's whatever sells a lot relative to a keyword, right? So you could put a word handbag in if you're really insane and try and rank for the word handbag. But even luxury handbag in the Amazon world, luxury might mean anything fifty, hundred bucks upwards, like five thousand. I think you need to do everything you can if you do sell on Amazon or any marketplace to engineer to get away from the search engine results page as the comparison just before the actual buying point. So even an Amazon store is a lot better than an Amazon search engine page. And if you can build a reputation within a narrow niche such that people do click through to your Amazon store and you sell a lot of stuff for $300, then you know $50 looks cheap, et cetera. Um, and you can do that within an Amazon listing with parent-child relationships. So if you have variations, if you have a, it's going to have to be of the same kind of product. So it's much less sophisticated than a fashion store or something, for example. Yeah. But if you sell, I don't know, silk neckties, you could sell one for $300 and then one for 50, one for 35. And the 35 looks cheap in that context. Certainly is something I've seen my clients do to a limited degree. And it works very well when they do it. It's just work to implement it. But Again, this is where I think in the end, this is the true power of having your own store and creating your own context within that world. You can create your own anchors and you just can't really do that to a powerful level in a marketplace. It's just the customers create the anchors, although they're allowed to and enabled by Amazon. But I think yeah. to your point, you're really a price taken on a price maker in that. No, I, I would say case. the best way to be the price maker is to do the versioning that you described. And you said your clients that do it or in the context in which they can do it, they see success. And that's classic. You've got, that. this happens at so many industries. You've got the ultra premium edition signed by the autographed edition copy or whatever it is, and platinum, gold, made with real diamonds, whatever it is. And then you've got the, the economy version. That is classic. The car makers started doing that a long time ago. I'm sure many other people pioneered it as well, but you too can apply that to private label branding, have a premium or luxury edition. And Apple does that with all of its devices. And it's a very common pricing strategy. And that is the way in which you can create your anchor in that bubble or your little set to your point, Michael. So like on your brand page is way better presentation of that than in the BSR rankings where people wouldn't see the premium edition. They might just see the economy edition. Okay. Let's move on though. Cause we got one more to cover if it's all right. And that is another way to be a pricing genius is to create a discount club for your buyers. And we've helped people implement this. We have this system in our own e-commerce environment and this works. So basically what you're doing is you're saying to your entire community, here's the way in which you can get a discount in an ongoing way. It's called Amazon Prime, <laughs> or it's called whatever whatever membership program name you want to call it your discount club. Call it your loyalty and rewards club. Now, some of these can be free, like a loyalty program, but others can be paid where people will give you $100 to be in the discount club 
and then they get a standing discount. That is very easy to execute on Shopify, impossible to execute on Amazon, I think. I don't know any way to do that, but you absolutely can do it in Shopify. And it creates the environment in which you're giving the customer what they want. You're saying, you want a discount? Here's a discount. Let's have fun together. Let's sell some stuff and buy some stuff. And you create a good time out of it. And customers can be really responsive to discount clubs or membership pricing, that kind of thing. And so it's definitely something to look into. If you can set it up for your business with your customers, you can do really well and bake in their loyalty and their commitment and and, uh, repeat purchases and even have it be profitable as a line item in your business just because you set it up and you charge people to be a part of it. In essence, it's a product. It's a virtual product that has no cost of goods. It has future imposed discounts on your items. It's very interesting economics all wrapped up in there. Absolutely. I know that Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand man for decades now, Boxer Hathaway is a massive fan of Costco. I think you're you're Mm -hmm. obviously a massive fan. You mention it very frequently. And I guess that having that cash flow from the membership coming in all the time is a beautiful thing if you can engineer it. I think for most physical product sellers, I suspect that's going to be hard to do, but you'd have to be very niched. And I guess you'd have to be definitely selling on your own well-branded channels. I think for those who sell on Amazon, there are a couple of elements of this which is not quite the same thing obviously the most obvious thing is subscribe and save on amazon and that does increase average order value i suspect that for most amazon sellers that's underused i think most people tend to look at it as an over as a sort of optional extra whereas amazon tends to push it pretty hard and most stuff as a consumer on amazon i've seen recently anything that can be subscribed and save i've seen for me personally they're offering as a an option before the one-off purchase. So they're really pushing it. They're trying to make it the default thing. So mm-hmm. obviously that can increase average order value and increase future cash flow and the relationship between how much it costs you to get the customer and the value of it, etc. So that's all worth doing. The second thing, more strategic point around that is to think really hard, especially if you're going to sell on a marketplace because cross-selling, upselling, downselling and future purchases are all so hard to engineer compared to your own site to really consider hard what product lines you could have mm-hmm. or add that can be subscribed and save. If you sell dog bowls, why not sell dog shampoo, for example? I mean, it's a simple idea, but it's really important. And the only other thing really on Amazon is that you could, in theory, and I've not seen anyone do this yet, but there's nothing to stop you having marketing assets outside of Amazon, which capture email addresses or any other form of contact SMS, for example, and that you could then effectively have a sort of informal discount club but they buy on amazon the difficulty mm-hmm. with that of course is they go to amazon and amazon itself is, is going to offer them something better value than you can offer and they get distracted to buy somebody else's stuff so you can take bits of it off amazon but i think again this is a great reason to run your own store in the longer term because it's so hard to implement this stuff off that have you've had clients that have done both that have sold on marketplaces and have tried to work towards their own dtc side have you found people that have managed to implement these things off their own d2c site or is it always got to be under your control it's easiest under your control yeah. you know, the subscribe and save functionality on shopify is really good there are recurring re- rebuying tools or subscribe and save tools apps that are that work great and every we have clients that use them every week when we log in we're like how many subscribe and save customers you have now it goes up up and the only question is how long do they stay in the program what's the churn rate but that's a great thing. It's a really a fourth idea here, but it's a bit different than a discount club, but it's 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 simpler to implement actually. And, and it works really well in addition. So yeah, I would say those are valuable reasons to have a Shopify site and build a brand and to sell direct to consumers. 
Absolutely. Man, I know that you're struggling through here with your voice. Hopefully you'll be back to 100% health soon. Let me wrap the show up here. If you're listening on the live uh, recordings of this on uh, the social media platforms, thank you so much. Feel free to comment underneath if you're listening via recording. And of course, if you're listening to this in Shopify, sorry, in Spotify or Apple Podcast Player or wherever pods are cast, then we would love your subscription, your highest review, and I'd love to have you check out the other episodes. Scroll back in time. We have done a ton on pricing. We've also done shows on, of course, all other aspects of e-commerce. There's always a new wrinkle, a new angle to talk about, and we love to do that. So thank you so much for supporting the show. really is an honor. If you want to check out more of Michael's work, you could do that at the what? AmazingFBA.com. Is that the right? Amazing. So the podcast is AmazingFBA.com, where you can also get access to the 10K Collective. The podcast is pretty much the same content these days. And we've just hit collectively between the Amazing FBA podcast, 10K Collective podcast, and the e-commerce leader this summer, we quietly passed a million downloads over the lifetime of all of those. We're well in six figures with the e-commerce leader as well. So there's plenty of people out there listening. So come join the party. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting the show. It's really an honor. We love talking about e-commerce stuff. And of course, it's great to have you jump in with us and ask questions live. So anyway, all that to say, really appreciate your support for the show. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.